Hi, this is Chad, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. It will play in just a moment. But before it does, I want to ask three things of you. First, if you find this sermon impactful, would you please let us know about it by emailing us at respond at creekside.me. We would find that extremely encouraging and helpful in our planning. Second, please consider sharing this content with someone else if you found it valuable. And third, if you are listening to this on a podcast host, please hit subscribe. This will let you know about future sermons and it helps our sermons be heard by more people, something we think is really important. Thanks again for listening. I hope that the sermon will help you learn and live more fully for Jesus. So if you've been around for this series, if you know me personally, you know that when it uh, comes to um, my public life, it is, uh, I am uh, very apolitical. I'm apolitical. I, I don't take stands on very many political things. I take stands on moral things, and sometimes morality and politics kind of butt up against each other. Uh, but I don't often... Uh, Rarely, let me say, never take a political stand just to take a political stand. It probably bothers some people here, but you still like me for the most part. I appreciate that. But I'm really, uh, I'm just not political. And it's because of what we'll see in this passage and, and kind of what we saw last week. If you didn't hear that sermon, go back and listen to it, creeksidebiblechurch.org uh, slash God and gov. But uh, I think that what you'll see in this passage of scripture explains why even further I remain, choose to be not very political. But it wasn't always this way. Uh, I was brainwashed as a child, uh, strong, you know, Republican, outspoken as a five-year-old. I did write in Ross Perot, if you remember him, uh, in a class election, but I think I was just rebelling against my family. I had no idea what any of that meant, but, uh, you know, I I was just... uh, I was a go-getter right-winger uh, publicly at one time in my life. And uh, in fact, I passed out flyers once, most political thing I've ever done. But I passed out flyers for some local Republican candidate, went door to door, didn't know who the guy was, still don't know who the guy was, if you can't tell. Uh, but I, I handed out door flyers and, and uh, I put it on one door And the guy opened up the door, I think I was with one of my cousins, and he started yelling at us about how he would never vote for this dirty candidate, and how dare you put this guy's picture on my door, and I I had to be like 10 years old, I'm not joking you, it was like the dark side of politics, you know, And, and it's crazy to me, looking back on that, that so many people get so angry when it comes to political things. And I think, I think that there's a couple of things that are really important that, uh, that we should think about when we think about how angry people get about politics. The first is, is this. I think people get angry because for at least a season, politics becomes the most important cause in their entire lives. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, from like maybe February through November of an election year, they can't see anything more important than getting their person elected. 
And so you can see, and we talked about this, we've talked about this in the series, but it, it bears repeating. You can see that if this is the most important thing, getting this man or woman elected, then if you're on the opposite side of it, then I'm, I'm going to be angry at you because you're ruining our country because you voted wrong. And, and so it becomes this very important thing. And you can understand when you think of it that way, or at least I can, why if, if I'm passing out a door flyer, a 10-year-old comes up and you know he puts the wrong guy on my door, then it's like, you are hurting our country, 10-year-old child. You are messing everything up by being here. And you can see where the, the frustration comes in. I don't see yelling at a 10-year-old, but, but I see where that frustration can, can come from. I, I get that. Um, but there's this, there's this other side that we also need to remember, and that is that if you have, I think this is so important, if you have a greater cause for you, I'm not saying an overall cause, but if you personally have a greater cause than getting somebody elected or pushing your political stance, then what you must know, you need to remember this, that your pushing of a political party, given our democracy and how our country votes and things like that, is going to necessarily hurt your other cause, oftentimes. It's going to hurt your other cause, like this. Uh, you may have seen a video coming around this week uh, where the cast of Hamilton in New York uh, saw that Vice President-elect Pence was in the stands, and so afterwards, they, they decided to give him a little speech about how he needed to think about all people and how he needed to uh, look out for the disenfranchised and those who are in the minority and things like that, and, and they gave him this little lecture, and that's fine, but if their goal is to sell tickets to Hamilton, then that becomes a problem, right, because now you irritated, trust me, I've seen on Facebook, you made mad like 50% of our country or a little less than 50% of the country. So the next time many people are in New York and they think about going to Hamilton, then they're not going to go because, because you know, those liberal people, you know, or whatever, and they're going to be angry at them and they're not going to go. And so if you have a side goal, a different goal than pushing a political stance, then oftentimes you are going to hurt that goal by pushing your political stance. You with me? So one, yeah, it's the most important thing for some people. Two, you need to know that, that you will hurt another cause by, by pushing your political cause. And I think we all need to make a decision about what the most important cause in our life is. Now, uh, it's like this, and I don't know if we got this picture up here or not, uh, but I, I just was thinking like uh, about t-shirts, and we'll see if we have a picture. Yeah, so like, what if I wore one of these while I was preaching? What would happen? You would feel uncomfortable, first of all. It would be like, what is he doing right now? In fact, I thought about like wearing one, but then I couldn't figure out how to switch. I don't have one, just for the record. But I thought about buying one for this sermon, but I couldn't figure out like, you know, how do you start with one on and then people are going to stop paying attention and then like would I have the other one on the back and I could flip around? Uh, because you know why I, I couldn't wear one of these preaching, right? Because, because I would alienate a bunch of people, a lot of people would 
immediately, as soon as I stood up on this stage to preach a sermon, they would stop listening and they would be mad at me and they'd be frustrated and they'd be angry and, uh, and some people would just storm right out maybe. I don't know if any of you would, but some people, uh, like maybe the guy that I put the flyer on the door, they would storm right out of the building because of course, church and politics are now mixing and you're pushing an agenda and how dare you use that platform for this. It would make people really mad. We can see really easy when it comes to preaching that if I chose to push a political platform or political candidate, then it would negatively affect what I think most of you who are Christians think is a greater purpose and that is the purpose of me preaching the word of God the very words of God, uh, not my words, but the ones in the Bible to people. We all kind of understand that. And the question I think that all of us has to ask when it comes to politics is will my political ways negatively affect what I want to be the most important cause in my life? And as Christians, and this is what we're going to see here in just a second, as Christians, and I don't know if all of you are, but if you're a Christian, then I'm just going to be clear. Your most important cause first is glorifying God, worshiping God, giving yourself to God. Your second most important cause is helping others to do the same. And I'll just say what I think right up front because this passage will prove it, and that's this. Oftentimes, our desire to push politics negatively affects our ability to live out, to bring to fruition our greater cause of glorifying God maybe, but even more, to, to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, after he died and then rose again, that's what Christians believe, he ascended into heaven and the last thing he said to his disciples is go and make other disciples, go and make other followers of me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. It's like Jesus said, hey, one more thing, last thing, I want this to be kind of the driving force of what you guys do, make other disciples. And what I think we've done Christian circles, many, maybe not this church, but many Christian circles, is we have said, well, that's a good idea, Jesus. However, I need to get this politician in office. And the politics negatively affect our ability to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, which is our true mission. And uh, let me just move us into First Peter here. In First Peter, there's this book that's being written by a guy named Peter, could have guessed that, and Peter is a guy who saw Jesus be arrested and killed at the hands of the Roman government, okay? So he doesn't have any, like, grandiose ideas about what government is. He's not, you know, naive about what government is. He knows the dark side of government. He lives under a government that is evil, 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 evil. They're terrible. Peter himself, you may not know this at the time, but he is going to be arrested and killed at the hands of the Roman government himself. And he may have an inclination of that because while Jesus was still on earth, Jesus actually said to Peter, you're free right now, but eventually you're going to be a prisoner. 
didn't say it in those words, but that's what he told Peter. So Peter may even know, like, someday this government is going to put me into prison for no good reason. And Peter writes this book of 1 Peter to a group of people that he knows are either, we don't really know this, but are either being persecuted currently when he writes the book or are going to soon be persecuted on pretty uh, grand levels, Uh, not just like somebody made fun of them for being a Christian, like uh, they may face death for their faith in Jesus. And and Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Now, that's huge. That's not even our passage today, but that's a huge statement by Peter for a couple of reasons. One, he reminds these people of something that he's already told them, and that is that they are not citizens on earth. They are actually citizens of heaven. If you're a Christian then your primary purpose, your primary allegiance is not to the flag of America, but to the flag of heaven. It is to God and his kingdom. And Peter reminds them of that just with the word exiles. But then Peter says this other thing. He doesn't say, because you're in exile and your citizenship is in heaven, don't worry about what happens here on earth. He says, live such good or beautiful lives that other people become Christians. That's what Peter is saying in in this passage. He says, live such great lives amongst those people who are citizens of Rome or America or any country. Live such great lives amongst them that they too will accept the Christian story and they will become Christians and become citizens of the same kingdom that you're a part of. Now, I just really important that I uh, stop here, I think, and, and either tell you for the first time if you don't know the story of Christianity or remind all of us who are Christians the story of Christianity. We call it the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And I'm going to tell it really fast, but this is what we believe every person needs to believe. Uh, to get into heaven, to have a relationship with God, it's this, that we were created perfectly by God, humans. Uh, But humanity chose to sin. A guy named Adam and his wife Eve, they ate from a tree in a garden, if you know that part of the story, that God told them not to eat from. They disobeyed God. And every single person since then has disobeyed God. And because God is a holy, perfect, righteous God, he cannot be in relationship with that which is impure or non-holy. And so God looked down from heaven and said, we have a problem. They are sinners. There is no way for them to remove their own sin. There is no way for them to be cleansed of their own sin. I need to do something about it. And so he came out of heaven onto earth. He became a man. His name was Jesus. He lived a perfectly sinless life his entire life. And after 33 years of a perfect life, he died on a cross. It was a horrible, excruciating physical death, but even more, it was a terrible spiritual death because on that cross, God laid the sins of the world upon himself. 
He died and then three days later, he rose from the grave. And the Bible tells us that he rose from the grave and in doing so, he conquered sin and death for all who would accept that story as true and call Jesus Lord and Savior of the earth. This is the story that Christians believe in. And Peter says, look, while your citizenship is not in heaven, here's the most important thing. You live in such a beautiful way that other people will want to accept that story as true. But we don't. We forget, in fact, how important and how great that story is. And what we do is we allow for a political agenda to become the most important thing, which is funny given the story I just told, right? If that story is true, and I believe it is, then why would we have any other agenda than to let every person on the planet know that and to help every person on the planet believe that? It's incredible, and it's the only true hope according to the story itself. But instead, we get sidetracked by life and, and our own personal goals and our own personal satisfaction, and we get sidetracked by politics. Because we become like everybody else from February to November of an election year every four years. We think, well, this, this is the most important thing. Or at least we feel this is the most important thing. And what it's done is it's negated the very command that Peter relays to us from God to live such beautiful lives that people want to become Christians. In fact, a lot of people don't express interest in Christianity they would tell you that they don't become Christians, although I think there's a false excuse, but they would say they don't become Christians because of how unbeautiful the lives of Christians are. In fact, they would point specifically at how political Christianity is. In fact, I looked up some things this week and I saw this list of things that non-Christians don't like about uh, Christians, and, and number five on that list of complaints that non-Christians level against Christians is that they are too political. Time Magazine, citing the author of Unchristian, which is a book that you may have come across, uh, says, oh, had an article called Christianity's Image Problem. And in it, quoting that author, it says that he says, non-Christians' biggest complaint about the faith are not immediately theological. Jesus and the Bible get relatively good marks. Rather, he sees resentment as focused on perceived Christian attitudes. Nine out of 10 outsiders from Christians, or nine out of 10 outsiders found Christians too anti-homosexual and nearly as many perceived it as hypocritical and judgmental. Check this out. 75% found it too involved in politics. Do you notice the beginning of that? Did you notice the beginning where they said like, the theology of Christianity and Jesus himself, actually, not that they should be scored, but they get good scores from the outside world. It's just a problem with us. And one of the big problems is that we're too involved with politics. Chapter five of a book that I read called They Like Jesus But Not the Church is called The Church is an Organized Religion with a Political Agenda. The book was written uh, based on uh, interviews that the author did with his non-Christian friends and said, 
hey, let's talk about why you don't like the church. Because he just found that his non-Christian friends were over and over saying, oh, we think Jesus is awesome. It's his followers that we have a problem with. And he devotes a whole chapter to saying, we've become too political. So here's the problem. All this is the, the problem, I think. And, and Peter gives us a solution in the next couple of verses. The problem is that we have forgotten our mission as Christians. And that mission is to glorify God first, honor him, worship him. But second, and this is a Jesus-given mission, it's to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. If you're not a Christian, then the, the very center of our goal is to lead you to a relationship with Jesus. Not because we care about shoving a religion down your throat. We're often perceived that way. It's not true. In fact, I wish more Christians would care to share the gospel story with others. But because we want you to know the life-changing truth that is the gospel story. And the reality is we want you in heaven with us someday. If a Christian ever tells you the story of Jesus and said, says, I think you should accept it, it's not because they have a personal agenda. It's not that fun to do. It's stressful because we're, we fear rejection like everybody else. It's because they care about you and they want you to get into heaven too. But we get so political that we actually hurt the cause that has been given to us by Jesus himself. And then Peter says this thing that I think is the solution. It's not a solution that we're going to like, especially if you weren't uh, if you didn't vote for Donald Trump and you weren't rooting for Donald Trump, or, or to flip sides, if here in, in Oregon you were against Kate Brown and you didn't vote for her, uh, then it's, it's not a solution you're going to like. So that's like, you know, most people, it's not a solution that we love because not doing this is, is more fun, creates better conversation, uh, gets us more popularity with our 50% of people who vote like us. But I think it's so important given the true mission of Christianity. Here's what First Peter says in, in 2.13 and in part of verse 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. Submit is the same word that we've looked at in the series. It's also in Romans 12. We spent kind of a whole sermon talking about submitting, being obedient to our government. And there we saw that we ought to do it because God gives government for our good. But here he adds something really important to it. He says, you should place yourself below your government for the Lord's sake. I think that we need to make this connection. We need to see this because it's so easy to not care about what Paul said in Romans 12, and that is this. You submit so that you don't get punished by the government or by God someday maybe. But when I think my submission is part of my relationship to God, my submission to those who are uh, our president or senators or representatives or governor or mayor or even local representatives, uh, my submission to them is not for them. It's not even for me. It's for the Lord's sake. It changes my perspective. 
I don't lie. Not because sometimes lying wouldn't be the easier, uh, perhaps even more fruitful option for me. I don't lie as a person who loves God and tries to serve God because I love and try to serve God. And it's easy to make that connection with certain things. Try not to lust because I love God. I don't want to lie because I love God. I'm not going to steal anything because I love God. But here Peter says, submit to government because you love God for the Lord's sake. And he continues and says something that in this series we've already seen. Who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. It's government's job to push forward good in a culture and to try to, to push down bad. If I was preaching this sermon, which would be fun, to like a group of political leaders, if they would let me stand in front of Congress and preach this sermon, that would be a great day. Uh, but I, I think that, that I would really focus on this. And, and I think you could create like a, a whole view of government based on that verse. Because good and bad in the Bible are not relative things. When it says good and bad here, this isn't just following the laws and not following the laws. It's talking about a universal morality, good and bad, as far as God sees good and bad. And he says here that our government's job, and they don't always do this job well, right? We know that. They definitely don't do it perfectly. But a government's job is to support that which is universally good in a society and to try to stop that which is universally bad in a society. Isn't that a fascinating thought about government we think a government is providing military and you know providing services and all that but fundamentally God has given them in order to support that which is good and to stop that which is bad and it's fascinating because they they don't do it well but they do it don't do they not I mean I think back to my younger days and and uh, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I didn't always live a great life for Jesus. Uh, uh, I don't even live a great life for Jesus all the time now. Uh, but there were times in my life when I probably would have just stolen something if I didn't think I could go to jail. Uh, if I'm being totally honest, I just would have been like, I'll take it. You know, nobody's going to do anything about it anyway. And government exists in part to stop me when I was, you know, 17, 16 years old from stealing something. Because the threat of punishment helped me do what God wanted me to do. Right and wrong are outside of government. You're to do right and wrong no matter what government says. But government exists in part because God gave you government in order to help you do good and, and not do bad. Now it gets really fascinating, verse 15. This is huge. This is a huge verse. For it is God's will. That by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. People love to say bad things about Christians. One of the things that just amazes me in our country today is that like 75% of people label themselves Christians but just my anecdotal evidence suggests that like 75% of people also say bad things about Christians a lot. I find that to be a weird thing that Christians take so many shots from people as far as negative things, but the majority of people are still 
Christians. I'll put that in quotes. I just find that fascinating. But people love to say bad things about us. They do. We are an easy target for people to say they're too political. Or the one that has always driven me nuts, they're all hypocrites. It's like, I just have never understood that. I've never been a hypocrite, and I'm not a hypocrite because I'm perfect. I'm, a, I'm not a hypocrite because I've never claimed to be perfect. In fact, I'm very open about how imperfect I am. And so it's funny when people call me, I've been called a hypocrite. Uh, it's just funny to me to be called a hypocrite. It's like, wait, I'm not declaring that I'm perfect. I'm just... I'm just a sinner that's saved by Jesus. So what makes me a hypocrite? But it's, we're just easy targets. I think we're easy targets because it's easier to say bad things about Christians than it is to have to make a decision about Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you may understand that tension. I just gave you the gospel story. And you could say, well, I guess I'm going to say no to that. Or you could be like, yeah, that sounds great, but Christians are hypocrites. Christians are too political. Christians hate all gay people. I had somebody tell me that they just assumed I hated gay people because I like the Bible. And it was, my, it was really eye-opening conversation, but, but I, I love and even like every gay person that I know uh, just because they're people created in God's image. People love to say bad things about Christians. But here's the trick of it in this passage. We should live in such a way that we make it difficult for people to say those bad things. We shouldn't go, you're going to say I'm a hypocrite anyway, so I'll live like a hypocrite. We shouldn't say, you're going to be mad at us because we're pushing a right-wing agenda, and so I'm going to push it anyway. According to Peter, we should live such beautiful lives that people want to give their lives to Jesus. And here he says, if you will honor the government's then you will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. If you will honor government, then you will shut up some of the people who are saying bad things about you and your faith. I just, I think we've ignored this. Because the Christians I know, you're many of those people, We don't submit and we don't do what's going to be said next, but we are just as jerky about our politics as everybody else. And so we don't shut anybody up. We give them a reason to talk bad about Christians. Instead of quieting the mouths of people who would want to say bad things about us, we give them an excuse to say bad things about us because we have chosen to push a political candidate or system or party over our great commission, sharing Jesus with other people. Now, now listen to this. this next ver- the next two verses are going to really put some meat on those bones. Uh, verse 16, I think, is so important. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. That's a huge statement. Partly because it reminds us that no matter what our government is like, we're free talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I think one of the reasons that Christians get so angry about politics is that we think our freedom is going to be taken away. And when you read the Bible and what it says about the gospel story, it's quite clear that nobody can take our freedom away in Christ. They might be able to kill us for our faith even, but they cannot take our freedom away. Paul, Peter, they went to prison 
And yet their freedoms were never taken away because they didn't find their freedom in a government. They found their freedom in Jesus. So when Paul was in prison, locked up, he got on his knees and he sang to Jesus as a free man. Freedom doesn't come from being able to do whatever you want. Freedom comes through the grace of Jesus that allows us to be free from sin and death. It allows us to be free from guilt. It allows us to be free from fear. That's true freedom. And Peter says, hey, you're free. You're free. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who the governors are. You are ultimately free if you're a Christian because you're not a citizen of America. You're a citizen of heaven, God's kingdom. And there you are free. But then this other part in that verse, this is like the skip over verse until I really thought about it and it's just so important. But don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And and we do. We go like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm free. So I'm going to bash the people who aren't like me because I'll have forgiveness because I'm on God's side because I'm a citizen of a different place. So I'll just be a jerk and it won't really matter. Now you, you probably don't, think that like on you just feel it somewhere inside of you i go because here let me just sorry this is it's frustrating to preach this series because everybody that i talk to is acting like i'm finding things in the word of god that are incredible and i'm not saying anything that adds much value to these verses They're the most straightforward verses I've preached on in a long time. Like, God gives government. It just says it. I mean, like, I probably made it worse by preaching on it for 40 minutes. It just says God gives government. It's like, oh, whoa, God gives government. Incredible. Like, read a Bible and you will come to the conclusions that I have come to in this series. And yet, I think that we just, we act like idiots, when it comes to politics, because we are using our freedom as a cover-up for the evil that we are doing. Well, I'm a Christian, so I have to be a jerk about this political party. But the Bible says different, and he declares here, Peter declares, you're a slave to God. So if he says it, and you are a Christian, then you ought to do it. And that leads us right to verse 17, which I think is the most important Uh, for us today, part of this passage of scripture. And it's really the last thing we're gonna say about our response to government. Next week, we're gonna hash out the idea of obedience to government and when we stop being obedient to government. And I'm gonna do my best to try to think through with you uh, when civil disobedience becomes a part of of the Christian faith and things like that. Uh, But we'll get to that next week. Right now, I just think this verse is a great summary of everything we've talked about. And it's so, so important, but it's so, so, so countercultural to everybody, but maybe most Christians. Listen to this. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Show proper respect to everyone. If you have Facebook, 
then you've seen the opposite of this a lot. Even Christians through this election cycle have shown no respect. Let me tell you what respect doesn't look like. You think differently than me. You're wrong. You're an idiot. That's not proper respect. Everybody who thinks like them is stupid. That's not proper respect. This means that we show respect to people of different races and ethnicities and political parties and ideologies. And we show respect to the unborn baby, but we also show respect to the mother who might not want them. It means that we show respect to everyone. To everyone. And I just don't see that. I said at the beginning of this series, in in the first sermon, I, I said, if your first thought is he probably deserved it when you hear about a black man's death, then you're wrong. And I would say, you're wrong because that's not respect. It's not respect and it's against what God has declared. If you said somebody's stupid, then, then it's not respect. God doesn't say here in, through Peter, hey, show respect For everyone who thinks like you. Show respect even for everyone who's right. Show respect to everyone. Everyone. You know what respect is is like, right? Like if you wouldn't allow your child to say something to you, you shouldn't say it about somebody else. Like if your kid walked up to you and said, Daddy, you're so dumb. (laughs) And you're like, wait, you can't do that. That's not respectful. Then you shouldn't declare everybody who has a different ideology than you dumb. Am I, am I right? I mean, we look around, I mean, just from the, the protesters to uh, things that have happened at debates. I mean, just everything, like to even the memes that go around on the internet. If you don't know what that is, Google it later. But, but a meme on the internet, like they're so utterly disrespectful And it's coming from Christians just like it's coming from everybody else. And Peter, speaking for God, says, show proper respect to everyone. Everyone. I think we'll lead a lot more people to Jesus if we respect everyone. Everyone. Couldn't we be just vastly different? Wouldn't we be like the most awesome Americans if we just listen to just that, and there's like three other things, but just that right there, show proper respect to everyone. Like, hey, I disagree with you, but I would love to hear more about why you believe that. Like, well, I disagree with you, but man, you're just so smart, you know? And so I, I, it's weird we came to different viewpoints, but man, I, I totally respect you. I just don't agree with you. We'd be so different. But we're not because we, I don't know, because we like other verses in the Bible or something. I'm not sure. Love the family of believers. Notice it goes a step up. Your treatment of everyone is respect, but, but our primary responsibility as Christians, we don't like to say this because it feels weird, but we show love to each other. We take care of each other. We lower ourselves for each other first. We, we help each other clean up their yards uh, first. 
We should serve people that aren't Christians, but, but our primary responsibility is to make sure that every Christian is taken care of. There should be no Christian people who are hungry or cold on the streets because, because we who are Christians are going to take care of each other. I think that's one of the things that attracts people from the outside is like, wow, they take care of each other. And then it says, fear God. That's a step up. Fear God, right? It's like you, you respect everyone. You love fellow Christians and you fear God. You have a healthy respect of God. You remember that God is above everything, that God is Lord of Lords and kings of, King of Kings, that God is in charge and not you. And then, and it's the same word for respect, honor the emperor. I just, I just think it's that's such an important statement. In our current culture, we look at the political leaders, the government, and, and we don't see them as, as people. We see them as positions. We do this with like athletes and actors and anybody really with any level of fame. We don't see them as people. We see them as positions. And so we say jerky things. We're idiots in, in our words that, with the words we use towards people. You know, we just don't have filters. And God says, just one more time, Larry, honor everybody, respect everybody, specifically those who are in government. Now, here's something, and, and hopefully you have one of these, but it, hopefully you got the family kind of booklet that, uh, that we've been doing with each series. If you don't, grab one on the way out. But, but the activity that we gave in there for families was to write nice letters to uh, your government officials. And I believe that they'll probably never get them. But, man, here's what I'd like for everybody here. I would like you to, to go home and write a, an honoring, respectful letter to President-elect Trump and to Governor Kate Brown. And just no matter whether you agree with them or not, you just say, hey, I'm rooting for you. I care about you. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you if you need to talk. I mean, I, I, am, I am on your side because God has given you for my good, even if I don't agree with you. I think that we have made politics the mission. And if you're a Christian, it's not. It's leading people to Jesus. And Peter gives us this wonderful outline for how we can be involved in politics and use it for the glory of God. And it starts with submitting to our government. And it ends with not just submitting, but honoring all people, specifically those who are in power in the government. Now, just a couple of things. Titus 3, 1 through 2 says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Now, I want you just to notice this last part. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and, to, and always to be gentle towards everyone. Who's seen that during this election cycle? What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? We wonder why people aren't Christians like they used to be. We wonder why uh, churches around the country are shrinking. We wonder why uh, 
Our country doesn't have the Christian morality and values that it used to have. Maybe it's because you didn't read the Bible and respond to our government correctly. I just want to say before I finish, if you're not a Christian, you should become one. Um, I'll tell you what. There's no true freedom, even in the United States, without being a Christian. It really isn't. You feel kind of free because you are here in our country, but you're not truly free on the inside. You still have guilt. You still have regrets that you can't let go of. You still know that you're under your sin. You still are conquered by sin. I just want you to know that my mission, maybe there's other Christians who are pushing politics. I'm not one, and I would love to have a conversation with you about how you can know Jesus and have the freedom I have. But if you're a Christian, I want you to act like one. I saw this phrase, and this is just about the end. I saw this phrase, evangelistic citizenship. When you think about what you're doing here in America, you should think of yourself as an in the terms of evangelistic citizenship. That means that the way you live out your citizenship in this country is not to push a political party, it's to lead others to a relationship with Jesus. That's your goal. That is your goal. It's not even for our government to have the same morality that you do. The goal is that all people will know and live and love Jesus, know and live for and love Jesus. So here's just two practical things and then I'll pray for us. Ask why you are saying something. Just think, why am I about to post this on Facebook? Why am I about to say this line? Is the purpose a political agenda or leading people to Jesus? And then this, and you could take this advice if you want to or not, but I think the most offensive thing that you say to anybody should be the gospel story. I think the most offensive thing that you ever say to somebody should be, hey, you can't get into heaven without knowing Jesus as your Savior. Everything else should not be that offensive. In fact, it should be honoring and respectful. The gospel should be the offensive thing that you tell people. Everybody that knows everything about you should not be offended by anything up until the point where you say, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Ask yourself why you're saying what you're saying and make the gospel the most offensive thing that comes out of your mouth. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just pray that we would get it right. I uh, just don't think we have, Lord. These passages are, are so straightforward. They're, they're just, they're so clear. And yet we've ignored them for a long time in this country, Lord. Reminded of Bill Clinton again, God saying, I just never knew Christians could be so mean. Lord, we should be the least mean people on earth because we know, Jesus, that you came and you died for us who didn't deserve it at all. Lord, in fact, the Bible tells us, you tell us, God, in your word that before we became Christians, we were your enemies, and that you died for us anyway. I pray that we would be more like you, Jesus. We would respond to our government in a way that pleases you for your sake, Lord.
And I pray, God, that you would use our response to government to lead people into a relationship with you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.